Good news, VBS is in only four days. Now, for some of you, primarily those of you that are between the ages of 3 and 12, that is fantastic news. For some of us, that is a little bit more like, it's in only four days. It's coming fast. It might not seem as much of good news as news that invokes maybe a little bit of panic. Although I feel like our team has done a great job of preparing. So, from what I've seen... um, Good news sometimes, depending on your position within it, might not seem as good of news, like the news, Dad is coming home, can be, yay, Daddy's here, or, uh-oh, Dad is home. And I know that there is something more ominous coming with that because of the way that I behave today. Or maybe it is more joyous because there's no coming punishment or doom when Dad comes home. This week when we look at Genesis, um, we are going to be in chapter 28, and we are going to look at some news that Jacob receives from God. And then we are going to see how does Jacob respond to this news, what is his response, and how should we respond with the news that we have also received from God. So we are starting in Genesis 28 verse 10. Uh, to kind of get everyone up to speed on where we are at in the book of Genesis and what has been happening. We are specifically turning our eyes away from Abraham as he has passed on. Um, And we've looked at the family of Isaac and Rebekah and their twin sons, Jacob and Esau. The last time we were here last week, Jacob deceived Isaac into giving him the blessing. And as a result, Esau set his heart to kill Jacob. So Jacob fled. With the blessing of his parents, he left to go to his uncle's house um, until it was safe for him to return. And as he's on his way, he's also supposed to be looking for a wife. So we pick up our story as Jacob is on this journey, this 500-some mile journey from his home to the home of his uncle. So starting in 28 verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it. And said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar pillar, and poured 
oil on the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow and said, If God will be with me, and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. This is the word of the Lord. Jacob is getting a lesson 101 in man camp. He is out on the road. And keep in mind, this isn't Esau, the manly hunter, the man of the field. This is Jacob, the man who dwelled in tents and enjoyed being inside. He is now journeying, and he comes to a place the sun is setting. And the best he can do is, here's a rock, this will be my pillow, and I will go to sleep. And as he's asleep, God appears and makes a promise to him. And that's what we want to look at first, is what is this promise that God makes to Jacob? So Jacob, we find out, he comes to a certain place. The author is intentionally vague about this at first. Kind of seeming like, oh, it's just a certain place, some place. He lays the rock in this place. But we don't find out until after Jacob has this dream that he is actually at Bethel, or as he would have known it at that time, Luz. This isn't the first time we've encountered Bethel in the story of Genesis. In fact, when Abraham first comes into the land of Canaan and makes and builds his first altar and worships the Lord for the first time in the land of Canaan, he does it nearby Bethel. This is a place that will become known throughout the Old Testament as the house of God, as the place where God meets with his people. But yet, we don't recognize it at first. So there's Jacob in this city of Bethel, or this place that will soon become the city of Bethel. He's sleeping on a pillow, and he has a dream in which angels are ascending and descending on a ladder. Or the Hebrew word here can also be understood as a staircase. Uh, So sometimes, how do multiple angels ascend on a ladder? That doesn't seem to be up to safety code. Um, You don't have multiple people on a ladder at the same time. But think of more of a staircase where you have angels going up and down. And what does this represent? What is so significant about this? If you remember back in Genesis chapter 11, the people of God tried to build a tower which just tops, reached up into the heaven, Mankind had been on this quest to reach heaven, and now here Jacob is having a dream in which heaven is reaching down to earth. There is a connecting point where God is descending from his high heavenly throne to meet with mankind here on earth. This is why Jacob is so enthralled. He is so amazed because he recognized now this is where God is coming to meet with people. This place is a very special place. God comes to meet Jacob where he is. This isn't like the Tower of Babel where Jacob has to work himself up to find God. God comes and finds him in the middle of nowhere sleeping with his head on a rock. And so God makes him promises. These promises deal with primarily three areas. First of all, there is the land. These might sound a little bit familiar. We've been through this with Abraham and Isaac 
Now God is coming to Jacob and making him a promise. In verse 13, God promises him that the land that he is sleeping on will be his. But not just his, it will also be his descendants. Which means Jacob, the single man sleeping in the middle of nowhere, will have a wife and have children someday. And God also promises him in verse 15, he says that he will bring him back to this land. As we know, Jacob is on his way out of the land and God promises to bring him back. This is the land that matters. So Jacob knows when he leaves, he is not staying. He is coming back. In fact, when he initially leaves, the expectation is that he'll be back sooner rather than later. Um, He's going to find a wife for himself. And once Esau kind of cools down his temper, Jacob plans to be back. But it will will be a few years. It'll be about 20 years before Jacob returns. So God promises him first the land. The second thing that he promises him is descendants, offspring. In verse 14, like we saw with Abraham and with Isaac, his descendants are promised to be like the dust of the earth. And they will be spread abroad to the east and to the west and to the north and to the south. These descendants will be innumerable. We cannot count the dust of the sea, and so Jacob's descendants will be uncountable. And through his descendants, as it was with Abraham and with Isaac, all the descendants, all the families of earth are going to be blessed. So Jacob has the promise of land, and he has the promise of offspring. And the third, ble- or the third promise, which we are so used to seeing, we would expect that God promises him blessing. That's what he gave to Abraham. That's what he gave to Isaac. The promise was for land, offspring, and blessing. But here God deviates a little bit. Jacob's already been promised the blessing. He has already been blessed by Isaac. In fact, the same blessing that was given to Abraham was passed on to Jacob. In the blessing that Isaac gave him back in verse or chapter twenty-five, um, or chapter twenty-seven, um, where Isaac tells him, "Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed is everyone who blesses you." So, rather than a promise of blessing. God promises a relationship. He promises in verse 15. He says, Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go. God promises to be with him. This is a promise that Abraham never received. And it wasn't until the end or near the end of Isaac's life that he received a similar promise from God. God promises to be with him, to keep him. And he says, God says in verse 15, I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. So God promises him land, offspring. And God promises to be with him, a relationship, to walk with him. When God promised these same things to Isaac, when he promised to be with him, the the promises of blessing and relationship went hand in hand. He said that I will be with you and I will bless you. These ideas, as we talk about the blessing of God, they work hand in hand. God's presence and his blessing, because anything that comes from God is his blessing. So if God is walking with you, his presence is a blessing, and everything that he gives you as you go on this journey 
is the blessing. So these are the promises that Jacob has received. And we're going to see in a little bit what Jacob does with them. But I wanted to talk for a while about blessings or promises that we have received. We don't have these same promises as Jacob. We haven't been promised land, and we haven't been promised offspring. We have other promises that God has given us in the New Testament that we can cling to, that we can believe them to be true. And so I have a handful of these that I want to walk through with us together, talking about what is the promise that God has promised and where is the scripture that backs us up. There is a printout that I put on the table back there if you want to grab after the service that has these all listed out as a reminder of just a handful of the promises that God has promised us. Like Jacob, he promises relational Um, intimacy and closeness. He promises that he will never leave us or forsake us. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Not only will he not leave us or forsake us, but nothing can separate us from him. As Romans 8.38-39 says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He will not leave us by his own will or by some power outside of his ability that would separate him from us. He will not leave us. He will not forsake us. We will not be separated from him. He will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can handle. 1 Corinthians 10.13 No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So the promise is that he will not leave us, he will not forsake us, we will not be separated from him, and he will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can handle. And as we suffer, he promises that he will comfort us in our affliction. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4 says, Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we, we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort, that, with, the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So as he is with us, he comforts us as we walk through affliction. He also promises his peace to guard our hearts and our minds. In Philippians 4, 6-7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So as we go through seasons of anxiety and stress, he promises that he will guard our hearts and our minds with his peace. In fact, he has promised us every spiritual blessing. In Ephesians 1.3, Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We never have to fear that we're missing out on a blessing of God. 
because he is withholding it from us because he is in some way not good. He has made every blessing available to us, every spiritual blessing. Now, we have to clarify again as we talk, this is God's blessing, not the world's definition of blessing of us getting what we want. It is God determining what is best for us and Him giving that to us. And through this all, through Him being with us, us not being separated from Him, from Him comforting us in our affliction, giving us peace in the midst of anxiety, and blessing us with every spiritual blessing, He will conform us to the image of Christ. Romans 8.29, Those whom He foreknew, that is all of us here who believe, He predestined, He determined before the foundation of the earth that this is what is going to happen. He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. In all these things, we have a promise of this relationship, this walk, this journey with God where He doesn't leave us but instead walks alongside and through our lives conforms us and changes us into the image of God. These are the promises we have from him. These relational promises, on the one hand, we also have an entire category of eschatological promises or promises that are yet to come in the future time, in the end of time, whether it is at the end of our lives or the end of the world when the Lord returns. Philippians 1.6, God promises that he will complete the work that he began in you. Similar to the last promise where he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son, he promises that he will finish it in the day of Christ. It says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We're also promised that one day God will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish us. First Peter 5.10 says, After you have suffered a little while, all of life is considered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal, everlasting glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. In fact, he has promised that throughout history, the enemy will not even prevail against his church. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says to Peter, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is a promise that we can know that the enemy will never prevail against the church. And when we breathe our last and go into glory, we are promised that we will receive an inheritance that cannot perish. 1 Peter 1, 3-5 It says, Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So we have this future imperishable inheritance awaiting us and also the crown of life. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test of time he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Not only 
an imperishable inheritance, a crown of life, but eternal joy someday. The end of Revelation paints a scene, a picture of what we will experience someday in the future. John writes, as he says, I heard a loud voice from the throne of heaven saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. For all eternity, someday we are promised everlasting joy. And finally, we are promised that the reign of Christ will not end. Revelation eleven fifteen. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So there we go. There's a little summary of some of the promises that we have in Christ. Just as Jacob received his promises of land, descendants, of his relationship, we also have promises of a relationship with God that we can walk with him, and we have a promise that at the end of days, Christ will reign supreme. But sometimes there's a disconnect. Sometimes we don't feel and understand these blessings. They don't speak or ring true to us in the everyday. As Jacob receives these blessings, we have to recognize how God introduces himself. He says, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. We're so used to hearing the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But at this point, it is just the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. In fact, this is the God of Abraham and, to Jacob, the God of the man whom he just deceived and lied to. A little terrifying to encounter the almighty God of the man that you just deceived, that you just lied to. This is not yet Jacob's God. Jacob is not yet accepted God as his God. In fact, when Jacob goes out and prepares this meal, that Rebekah prepares the meal for him to take to Isaac to deceive him, Isaac asks Jacob, how did you get this this food so fast? How did your hunting trip go so fast? And Jacob's response is, the Lord your God was with me. Jacob doesn't say the Lord my God. He says, the God of Isaac was with me. This is not yet the God of Jacob. Jacob recognizes that he is God because he says, wow, how amazing. God is in this place. This place is the house of God. But yet it is not, this is the house of my God. This is the house of a God. The promises that Jacob receives also might have to him this lack of immediacy if you remember Jacob's situation, he is sleeping on a rock in the middle of nowhere. Um, there is in psychology this thing called Mas- Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if you ever heard of it, which says there's some base level needs that we need to have met first. Things like food 
and clothing and shelter, that if these things aren't met, we don't care so much about love and affection. We care about getting our base level needs met first, and then we move more towards having relationship and an idea of self-fulfillment as we move up this hierarchy. Um, Some would say that in this hierarchy, there's a new base level that is Wi-Fi, that without Wi-Fi, it doesn't matter if we have food or clothing, and without Wi-Fi, it doesn't matter. Um, This is, or air conditioning, or, (laughs) yes. Um, When our base level needs aren't being met, we can tend to not care about our future needs or future promises. And here God comes and promises descendants and land to a man who is sleeping on a rock. And Jacob doesn't, it doesn't resonate with him as much as the promise of clothing and food would resonate to him. In fact, we'll see by Jacob's response that he is more concerned about the immediate present needs than these future promises of God. And the same is true for us often. We get consumed by our own immediate needs. The needs of, I'm hungry and I need some food today. Or it might be the need of the internet is out and I need Wi-Fi. Or I need to connect with my friends. Or my phone has fallen into water and now I am cut off from all existence. And so God's eternal promises that one day there will be no sadness and all will be joy can seem insignificant to us. Not because they are insignificant, but because our perspective is a little warped. God's eternal promises feel oftentimes so far off in the future that we don't see them as important to us today. And so we don't hold on to them. We don't worship. We don't thank God for them because they haven't happened yet. And who knows if we'll see them. And like Jacob, who has this relational disconnect with God, this is not yet the God of Jacob. We can have our own relational disconnects with God that make his promises feel difficult to understand. We can be clouded by shame and by guilt, and so we distance ourselves from God. And God's promise to be with us and to never leave us or forsake us can feel more like a threat than a promise. God's promise that if we draw near to him, he will draw near to us contains within it this idea that as we draw closer to God, we experience his blessings and we understand his blessings because we receive more of his mind, his knowledge, his understanding of the way that he is working in us. But yet when we distance ourselves from God, Some of these promises that I mentioned don't really seem to matter that much. It doesn't seem to matter that much about God conforming us into his image when we don't want anything to do with him. In fact, when we don't even turn to God in our temptation and try to fight it on our own, it can feel like there's no way out. This promise doesn't even matter to us. And it doesn't really matter if his peace guards our heart because we just want to be out of the situation. We don't want peace to walk through the situation. We just want it fixed. And so in our own relational disconnect with God, we sometimes discount his promises and we don't let them really impact us the way that they should. And so we respond poorly, like Jacob. 
Now, Jacob's initial reaction, I kind of look at him like, oh, he's out in the middle of nowhere, sleeping on a rock, so he's kind of like at church camp. He encounters God, has this amazing, mind-blowing experience. He's like, wow, this is amazing. God is in this place. When I get back home, I'm going to serve God. He is amazed at God and amazed at what he does, but yet no real soul-level transformation takes place in his heart. He recognizes the truth and is unchanged. He commemorates this wonderful experience. He sets up a stone, and he renames the place the house of God. But then he makes this conditional vow. And if we read carefully, we see more of Jacob's heart in this situation than what we may first believe. We might read through this first and be like, oh, that's great. Jacob thought God was awesome, and he sets up a pillar, which is an altar, so he must be worshiping God, and then he goes off and serves God, and God becomes his God, and this is incredible. But Jacob makes this conditional vow. Conditional meaning, if God will do this, 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 and this for me, then I will serve him. Five conditions that Jacob makes. First, if God will be with me. Second, if God will keep me in the way that I go. Not if God will lead me in the way that he wants to go. If God will keep me in the way that I am going. If God will give me bread to eat. If God will give me clothes to wear. And if God brings me so that I come again to my father's house in peace. If God meets these conditions, then the Lord will be my God. Then this stone will be the house of God, and then I will give 10% of everything that you give to me. So Jacob sets up the conditions. He says, okay, God, I see that you're real. I have this pillar here, and someday, if you bring me back to this spot, then this will be your house, and I will worship you then. God comes to Jacob and offers unconditional promises, and Jacob's response is a conditional vow. He comes and says, okay, God, I understand everything that you've promised me. So if you will do this, 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 and this for me, then I'll worship you. Then you will be my God. Jacob recognizes this is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. But if he is going to be the God of Jacob, he had better come through. Rather than worshiping God right away, Jacob wants to wait and see if God will really come through. The entire story of Jacob kind of follows this trajectory of Jacob leaving home, going into Haran, and then coming back. And before he leaves, and when he gets back on both ends, there's this encounter with Esau that he has. On the way out, it's this negative encounter where he is essentially exiled by Esau. And on his journey, he encounters God. And on his way to Haran, when he encounters God, he is very much hesitant to make God his God. But what happens in Haran is going to change him. But right now, Jacob wants to make sure his ducks are in a row, his items are taken care of, before he's willing to worship God. And much like Jacob, we can hear all these promises that God's offering to us. And we're more concerned about our immediate needs in front of us. So last year I was having issues with my internet connection. Um, And I tried all the IT tricks, you know, unplug it, plug it back in, turn it off. There's like a certain order you have to do everything in. And I tried every possible order and I could not get it to work. 
And so finally, I resorted to calling the internet company so I could talk to a computer for 10 minutes before finally talking to a human being. And the company actually had to send out a repairman to fix the issue because it was in the lines that were outside my house. And once everything was solved, they called me back and they wanted to do this follow-up. Was everything fixed? Was it great? I was like, yes, thank you so much for coming out and fixing it. And they're like, okay, great. We also wanted to talk to you about our new streaming service that we can get you a free seven-day trial of. I was done talking. (laughs) Conversation was over. They'd taken care of my problems, and I didn't want to hear any more from them. And since then, they have called me about once a week for probably the past year, every time from a different number, so I never know what's coming from them. And every time it always starts out, hey, we noticed that you've been a great customer with us for a while now, for several years. Would you like to try out our new streaming service? It's absolutely free. No. I, th- I think they'd keep records of every time I've said no. So, you know, hey, this person said no 50 times. Maybe we shouldn't waste our time calling him. But they call nonetheless. I share this story because sometimes this is how I can view my relationship with God. And sometimes I feel like it's how we can view our relationship with God. When we have a problem, when the internet is out, we reach out, we call for them to come and fix our problem. And when everything is going smoothly, I really don't want to hear what they have to tell me. I've got my needs taken care of. I'm good. We can move on. I'll come back the next time. I'll call back the next time I have an issue or maybe you raise the price and I want to change the negotiation. And with God... When we have a problem, we're quick to reach out. But when he's trying to reach us, we don't want to hear it. We don't care about the promises that he offers us. Because they might seem as insignificant to us as the promise of seven days of a free streaming service. We don't want to hear his sales pitch. We don't want to hear all these wonderful things that are happening in the future. I've got my own life right now to take care of. So like Jacob, we hear all these promises of God. And rather than worship him and thank him for all that he has done for us, we demand that he meets our requirements before we worship him and make him our God. If we take that passage in Philippians that I read, where it says, Be anxious in nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The verse doesn't say, make your requests known to God and he will fix them. It says he will give you peace. And we are a people that like things fixed. And so we treat God like this repairman. Come and fix my problem and go on your way. But instead God says, no, let me walk with you through this. Let me give you peace. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will comfort you when it is too difficult. Walk with me. But the problem is that if God comes and walks with us through our difficult times, then he has to be God of our lives, and we don't get to be God anymore. And we like being our own God because we like the control. At least I do. I love having control. I hate being in situations where I don't have control. So we stand here like Jacob. God has made his promises to us, and we have a choice Are we like Jacob and we make demands of God that he must meet before we will serve him? Or do we learn from Jacob? And rather than waiting to make God our God, we worship him and serve him now. This is only possible, of course, because God has provided a way for us to come to him. 
in our sin, we didn't even deserve to have this relationship. But Jesus paid the price of death. He bridged the gap to draw us close to God so that we could enter into this relationship. And yet sometimes we still choose not to. We still choose to do things on our own. So, the wrong response to all of God's promises is to make more conditions on God and to hold out on worshiping and serving Him fully. The right response is worship. The right response is to say every day, God, you are my God. Walk with me throughout today. I trust you for your promises, and your promises are enough. This frame of mind and this position of our hearts allows us to fully experience God's promises as we walk with him in relationship. And it demands that we respond in worship because we recognize that we bring nothing to the table, that God has done it all. Jacob sets up an altar and says, someday I'll come back. Someday I'll come back and I will worship. You will be my God then. But for us, we must say that today, today we will worship because God is our God right now. Not in the future, not once he has met all our needs, all our demands. God is our God now. And that's what we're going to do. We are going to collectively worship together.